the person who walks their dog past your house and never cleans up after their dog, the guy who cuts in front of you in line, the coworker who's kind to your face but says terrible things behind your back, the family member who complains constantly, difficult and annoying people. And you could probably add a few of your own to the list. What do you do with difficult people? That's a great question. What does how you handle difficult people tell you about who you are? That's an even better question. And that's where we are with the Sermon on the Mount today as we're following the Jesus way. So listen with an ear toward what all of this says about you and what it says about God. So we're reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So this is real life stuff. Somebody hurts you. Somebody threatens legal action. Somebody makes you do something that you don't want to do. Somebody wants something from you. And what's the conventional wisdom? Someone hurts you, hurt them back. Someone sues you, hate them. Someone makes you do something that you don't want to do, do the bare minimum and do that grudgingly. Somebody wants to borrow something from you, tell them no, it's yours, not theirs. But if you live like that, what does that produce? Well, it certainly has the, the potential of producing angry, selfish, vindictive people who are controlled by their circumstances. Maybe you disagree with me, but have you been on social media today? So that's the conventional wisdom. But Jesus is doing something new. And as we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, remember, this is what the people who follow Jesus look like. This is the type of community that Jesus is creating. This is a community that differs greatly from our culture. So keeping with the pattern, you've got these two, this is the conventional wisdom, and this is what I say to you. So let's look individually at what Jesus said. You've heard, it, that, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Right at the beginning of this passage, I want to talk about how to understand what Jesus is talking about because this passage has been massively misinterpreted. Jesus is talking here about interpersonal relationships between you and someone else. He's not talking about war between nations. He's not talking about other people who are out there. He's talking about you and the real relationships that you have. And that's how you make sense of what he's talking about. So what Jesus is, is speaking of here is the law of retaliation. If you do crossword puzzles, it's the lex talionis. That's the answer. And this was, when it came up, a really good thing because it was to limit revenge. If somebody hurt you, you could hurt them back, but only to the extent that they hurt you because otherwise things would have spiraled out of control. Maybe you'll be kind to remember when I talked about Lamech a couple of weeks ago. And the example of Lamech was how things spiral out of control. You hurt me and I'll hurt you back 77 times the amount that you have hurt me. 
And we've seen this recently, where a dispute last week between neighbors ended up with someone shot to death through a door. So the law of retaliation was actually a good thing. You can't do worse to someone else than they have done to you. And by the time we get to Jesus's era, this you know tit for tat thing has basically been replaced by monetary payments. Uh, I broke your arm, I give you a cow, it, it's all better. So of course, money papers it over. But the whole system is built on getting revenge, on getting even with somebody. Even if it's limited, it's still about retaliation. And what Jesus is saying is, don't even worry about revenge. Just let it go. Why? Because you can't win. No one wins. There are only losers when people start retaliating and holding grudges against each other. Why? Should you not do that? Well, because you've received grace. And if you've received grace, you can afford to extend it to others. Why? Because you have nothing to prove. God will eventually sort everything else out. God promises to take care of you. You have worth and value that you shouldn't let someone else take away. So let it go. Your life will be so much better without having to get even all of the time. And then Jesus gives four examples. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, a whole lot can be made out of this. What exactly it means, what hand is used, what cheek is used, all of that, and that's fine. But for my money, I don't think we need to go much deeper than if someone slaps you. Now, I haven't been slapped in the face too many times, but it is a unique experience. It is far different than being punched in the shoulder. Being slapped in the face is insulting. It's demeaning. And it escalates whatever just happened to the nth degree. When someone says it was like a slap in the face, we know it was bad. So you don't have to dig much deeper than someone just slapped you in the face. Just thinking about it gives you all the information that you need. But now, what do you do? Well, the culture says, hit them back harder, and then it will escalate and you have people getting shot through doors. Do you know how much power there is if you just shake it off? Man, you just slapped me? That stunned me? And I can't believe you did that? But I'm not gonna let that rattle me. I am not going to give you power over me. I will not sink to your level. I haven't gotten in too many fights, haven't been slapped in the face too many times, haven't gotten in too many types fights, but I remember distinctly one time. I was 14 years old and I was at the Boy Scout Jamboree and the, the kid who was our troop leader was, what's good sermon language for this? An annoying, irritating person and he did not like me. And one day he said, hey, can I talk to you? I'm like, okay, sure. And so we went out a little bit from the camp. People could still see us. We walked out there. I was ahead of him. I turned around and said, yeah. And he hauled off and hit me in the face. I wore glasses at the time and my glasses went flying. It, I was totally stunned. And I looked at him. I walked over. I put my glasses on. I looked at him and said, do you feel better now? And it had the effect that I had hoped for, even being 14. Because what happened was other people were paying attention and he basically looked like an out of control idiot. And by my response, I was like, I'm not gonna give you that power over me to make me look like some sort of idiot too. 
If we turn the other cheek, it breaks the cycle of violence. It de-escalates. You may attack me verbally more often than physically, but I will not respond in kind. I don't have to respond in kind. One of the things about this passage too is remember, you can't turn someone else's cheek. You can only turn your own cheek and say, I refuse to respond that way. I am not that kind of person. There's also an element in this passage where it's a call to be vulnerable, to be willing to be able to be hurt in interpersonal relationships. And so vulnerability is scary because you might get hurt. Yes, yes you might. You can completely protect yourself from all kinds of hurts, but I can't live that way and I don't wanna live that way. So it's a call to open yourself up even if you might get hurt. In my experience, most of the time, the slaps in the face are really poorly thought out compliments where you need to go, they didn't mean any harm, it just sounded better in their head than when it came out. Or honestly, are laughable attempts to hurt my feelings. And I look at them and go, okay, I will not be responding that way. So as with all of these examples that Jesus gives, turning the other cheek, doesn't give control to other people. You are still in control. Jesus goes on, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Nobody wants to be sued. Uh, this is again though, a difficult person who has decided to take legal action against you. That can be devastating. It can be expensive, it can be nasty. I've never been sued personally, but I, I get in the middle of them occasionally, and it is never, a good thing. And I don't think Jesus is minimizing any of those things. But look at the example that Jesus gives. It's not that big of a deal. He wants your shirt. Give him your coat too. He's not ruining you. He's annoying you. So don't let him win. Don't let him steal your joy. Don't forget that even if you don't have your shirt or your coat, God still promises to take care of you. And there's still that element of control. You think you won? You didn't win. Take my coat and see how big of a man that makes you feel. I'm not controlled by my possessions. Here you go. But the motive isn't really to heap hot coals on their head so they feel a sense of shame. It's more like, I kind of feel sorry for you. You are a fundamentally unhappy person. I wish you happiness. If my shirt will make you happy, here, take the coat too. Jesus goes on to another example. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Again, you don't control me. You can make me go one mile, but of my own free will, I'll go another mile. I will willingly help. I will willingly do more than the bare minimum because I'm not a bare minimum kind of person. Then Jesus goes on. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now this one is obviously hyperbole because if I loan stuff to people, they might not give it back again. I have less than half of a library because I keep giving people books. I loan something out, it might get broken, it might get dirty, that is all true. And actually every time I think that I know where a book is and I remember that I gave it to somebody, it actually makes me happy that they have the book because I'm like, it's probably doing them some good. So Jesus may be addressing the fact that you're more concerned about your stuff than you are with helping people. 
He might be addressing the fact that you are living out of a mindset of scarcity. I have to hoard my stuff or I won't have enough instead of trusting that God will take care of you. Just a possibility. So now we've seen four examples. Turn the other cheek, give them your coat, go the extra mile, let people borrow your stuff. Well, is Jesus serious about this? I mean, who can do that? That seems unattainable. But here's the key. It's the key to understanding this. This is not meant to be a list of rules for us to keep. What Jesus is doing is describing a certain type of person. The type of person who has a generous spirit. The type of a person who's open to help, even if it costs them something. The type of person that has an awareness of other people. And we admire people who do those things. We have several phrases in English that come from this passage. Man, she will always go the extra mile. He's the type of guy that will give you a shirt off of his back. We admire those things. And Jesus is calling us to have that kind of spirit in us. And that is so core to who God is. And it's actually what we expect from God, isn't it? And now Jesus is saying, and you be like that too. Because in the community I'm forming, everyone has a generous spirit. There's also something here that I don't think should be missed. People who are like this are not controlled by their circumstances. If you always have to get back at people, you spend your entire life being controlled by others. People who live like this know they can control how they will react. I generally have a choice. I don't have to be a victim. I do not have to let you push my buttons. I can bless you even if you don't bless me. I can afford to be generous because God is being generous with me. Be that type of person because that's the type of person God is. And then Jesus goes on. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Something in that passage sounded familiar, but not quite right. It's like something was just a little bit off. So remember the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? Notice what Jesus says in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where does the hate your enemy part come from? Well, to be honest, there are a couple of really obscure references in the Psalms to hating the enemies of God. But this really comes from a discussion that was being had at the time of Jesus. And that is, who is my neighbor? And it's sort of common of the human condition. I only want to do what I have to do. So define for me who my neighbor is. I'll care for them and then I'll have to worry about everyone else. I mean, this is the whole point of the story of the Good Samaritan, right? If you're not familiar with it, look it up. Great story. 
Because at the end of it, Jesus says, the question is not whether or not someone is your neighbor. The question is whether or not you are a neighbor. So we're always trying to draw lines. And Jesus says, no lines. Jesus has broken down every wall, every wall that stands between us and God, and every wall that stands between us and other people. So I'm sure that part of the discussion of who is my neighbor was certainly about, I, I can only care for about so many people, so I need to limit that. But Jesus isn't calling you to care for everyone. Jesus is calling you to care for the people you come into contact with, and then to care for them in an appropriate way. You can't solve everyone's problems, but you can be the type of person that cares about other people's problems. And that's what Jesus is really getting at. Verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So the conventional wisdom is love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Instead, in the kingdom of God, we love our enemies and we pray for our persecutors. Why? Because this is about the type of person you are not the type of person they are. And I can't underline this enough, particularly in our current cultural climate. Don't hate anyone ever. I've been reading a book by Kevin Kelly, which is a collection of pithy sayings, and I love this. Hatred is a course that does not affect the hated. It only poisons the hater. Release a grudge as if it were a poison. Don't hate. Instead, love. But understand what love is. Love doesn't mean have romantic feelings toward. It means to act from a position of care and concern. Love is not the same as acceptance. Love is not the same as agreement. Love is a posture. It's a disposition. You can hate me as much as you want to, but I will not return that. I will act kindly out of a heart that's motivated by love. And actually, I find myself in positions like this lots of times. Over the years, people have left this church because they don't like me. Go figure, it doesn't make sense to me either. And this is a relatively small town, so I have a tendency to bump into them. Now, they may not hate me, some of them do, but when I bump into people who've left the church because they don't like me, it's definitely a little awkward. So if I see them in a restaurant, I pick up the check. I buy their dinner. It's amazing how much goodwill that builds. If it's in the gathering place for a funeral, some, of the, some saint dies here and people have left come back, I always stop and talk to people because I just want to build a bridge. I can't control their actions, but I can control mine. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. You can't pray for someone and hate them at the same time. And the model for this is Jesus on the cross, where he's literally crucified after having been beaten nearly to death. And he looks out and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What if Jesus hated his enemies instead of praying for them? I've been reading this great book called Unoffendable. And one of the chief questions of the book is, why should it surprise me when broken people do or say hurtful things? And even just knowing that helps me frame things differently. Pray for people who irritate you. 
Pray for people who persecute you. Pray for people who do terrible things to you. Why? Verse 45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun, the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Basically, it's saying God acts in a loving and merciful way towards everyone, not just the people who deserve it. God wants good for everyone. Be like that and reflect that to other people. Because ultimately, the most important thing is not that you've convinced other people to share your political beliefs, but that you've adequately demonstrated to other people that there's a good God that loves them. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Generally speaking, everyone loves the people who loves them. I remember most of the time when I had a girlfriend in junior high is because somebody else told me that she liked me. I'm like, she likes me? Okay, I can like her back. There's nothing special about that. Generally, everyone is friendly to their friends. There's nothing extraordinary about that. What's extraordinary is when you can love and care for people who aren't in your friend circle. Because we tend to exist for ourselves. And Jesus is trying to broaden our perspectives. This point was driven home to me in a really powerful way a couple of years ago that not only changed my life, but I think it also changed the trajectory of the ministry of this church. I don't even remember what it was for, but we were raising money for something. And I talked to a good guy who was a buddy of mine, who is a consistently great giver, and he said, I'm not donating to that. And I was stunned because he is all in. And I'm like, why aren't you donating to that? And he's like, because it's just another example of us taking care of ourselves. Call me when we're doing something that's going to affect the community, and I'll give you money for that. And man, that hit me like a load of bricks. All we were doing was taking care of ourselves. And there's a whole community out there. There's a whole world out there that has needs. And that conversation is where I date me really going, we got to get outside of our walls. We got to make a difference in the community. We can't just keep taking care of ourselves. It was a real turning point for me. It's easy to love the people who love you. It's easy to be friends with the people that are friendly, but it's much more difficult and much more impactful and much more representative of the kingdom of God when we love people who are outside of our walls. And then he says something which is kind of funny, which most people probably just ignore right away because you're like, I can't do that. He says, be perfect. It's kind of like the New Testament translation of what God says several times in the Old Testament, be holy because I'm holy. Holiness means to be set apart. So I think this is Jesus's way of saying, be completely set apart for God. Be completely dedicated in this context to being this type of person. Because our relationship to God is always going to play out in our relationships. Say what you will, but show me the quality of your key relationships and that will tell me more about the reality of your relationship to God. The litmus test of who I am is how I treat people I don't know or don't like or people I gain no benefit from. That's the truest way to know what's really in my heart. So let me ask you three questions. In what ways 
Are you the kind of person Jesus is talking about? Number two, if people were to look at how you treat other people, what would they learn about God? And number three, who is a challenge for you to care about? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.